Hey guys, this is Raj Mantaj. This is definitely an episode you do not want to miss. You know, I've been uh, asking a lot of my clients, you know, what are some of the number one things that they struggle with on a daily basis? One of them is setting boundaries. And not only that, but also regaining trust after abuse. If you've gone through some really tough times and you're having trouble trying to set boundaries, stop people pleasing, and just trust other people. This is an episode you definitely don't want to miss. You're going to take a lot away. And my next guest has a very impressive background. She is the best out of the best at what she does. Abby Metcalf, psychologist, author, podcast host, and TEDx speaker. She has 30 years of experience in working with organizations such as Google, Apple, AT&T, giving talks, TEDx speaking. Uh, she's been on CBS, ABC, Huntington's Post, and Women's Health Definitely, guys, you don't want to miss this episode. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. You're listening to the On Impact Show. Hey, guys, we are back. Next guest has a very impressive background. Her name is Abby Metcalf. She is a relationship maven, psychologist, author, podcast host, TEDx speaker, um, I love her direct style. She knows what she's talking about. She has a non BS like style. So she'll tell you exactly what's on her mind, which I love. She's, uh, has experience for over 30 years and recognized as an authority and a speaker of the organization, such as Apple, Google, AT&T, and I can go on, but I'm going to let you take the stage here. And, uh, it's an honor having you, Abby, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. And yes. you know, it sounds like my mother wrote my bio, you know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's super impressive. I'm I'm very impressed with your background. And so that kind of leads me in how did you kind of get into all of this work? Well, I'm I'm a recovering heroin addict and you know, I was gonna be a lawyer. And so I actually have a bachelor's in poli sci because I was oh. so sure to be a lawyer, but as I got into recovery and <clears throat> Um, I actually moved across the world to Israel and I lived over there for a while. And, um, and I just found that, you know, I kept getting feedback that I was very good talking to people and mm. I started to sort of go down a different path. And when I came back to the States, I got a master's in counseling psychology and I started doing that for a while. And uh, then I started working in businesses. So I sort of veered back and got an MBA. Wow. <laughs> I wanted to do one to many, not just one to one. And then my PhD is actually in organizational psychology. So I have this kind of weird background mix. Um, And I worked with executives who had drug and alcohol problems for a long time and doing other kind of work also, and then (laughs) sort of ease back into my own world and really trying to help people in just these other ways, instead of through a business, you know, through businesses. Uh, and that's, you know, the podcast was born and my, uh, my book and, you know, all the things. And so, yeah, it's really great. I'm, I'm living my best life. Very exciting. I'm reaching a lot of people and, you know, doing things like this just makes my day. Yeah. And um, I had a look at your Instagram and, and some of the posts that you have are, I mean, it, it really resonates with me and I'm sure a lot of my audience members <clears throat> definitely check out Abby's uh, Instagram, which I'll let you, uh, I'll put it in the bio, but, you know, as far as like going through addiction and, and overcoming that, how did that, how did, what was that moment where you were like, okay, I need to make a change. 
And then now you're helping thousands of people all over the world. I mean, that transition, did that take time? And how did you do that? <laughs> it's that's a whole uh, podcast in and of itself. <laughs> that's a different I, episode, right? <laughs> I, yeah, it is. I, I can only say that it's never one thing. You know, I know some people get, I don't know, like the hand of God comes down and they have some sort of inspiration. I went kicking and screaming into all of it. I was in a ton of rehabs. I, I, I've walked on hot coals with Anthony Robbins. I've done Est. Wow. I've done Life Spring. <laughs> I've done, you know, I, there's not a thing I haven't tried to, and I still do things all the time to improve myself and to, you're never done, you know, it's yeah. always, and that's the joy of it though, is I'm always finding out new things about myself and other people. I find people endlessly fascinating and amazing yeah. and wonderful. And it's a privilege, you know, to just be in yeah. the world. And so, you know, but shifting, I'd say in a big way from a fear mindset to a love mindset has changed my life. And that's something I work on, you know, on a daily, daily basis. I'm, I'm yeah. always, but yeah, there wasn't any one moment for sure. I right. Everybody, you never give up on yourself. You know, you yeah. have a goal, you're going to get there, whether that's to have a better relationship, whether that's to get a great job, whether that's to just feel at peace and not, and feel connected. That's your goal. And you never give up on that. And that's yeah. where you always, you know, one of the things that's really important that I heard a long time ago when I learned to ride a motorcycle. I don't know if you've ever learned to ride a motorcycle. No. If you learn to ride a motorcycle, the very first thing they tell you, the, the first thing the guy said to me goes, there's only one <clears> thing you need to know. Never, oh, wherever you look is where the bike's going to go. Mm. And that is, that's life. Yeah. Where if you're looking, you know, if you're a race car driver and you're looking at the wall, you're going to hit the wall. Right. You know, you have to look in front of you all the time. Where do you want to go? What are you trying to do? That is where all, all of your attention and focus should be. Yeah. All of it. Not on the past, not on what might have happened, what, what I could have done better, not on regrets, not on anything else. Because you will drive your, that race car or your motorcycle and your life into the wall yeah. or into yeah. some oncoming traffic. You have to look at where you're going. Yeah, that's some really good advice. And I mean, a lot of people that are listening on this podcast, I mean, they've been through trauma. A lot of them are empaths, highly sensitive people. One of the things that I get from a lot of my listeners are, you know, they get triggered, especially right now with the way the world is. It seems like there's something going on. We get provoked. Uh, mm -hmm. A lot of people are that never had PTSD are now saying it's a thing with social media. Yeah. Um and the other factor is like people pleasing and all of that jazz. So I wanted to ask you just starting off from, from the beginning, why is people pleasing seem to be a trauma response in itself? Yeah. Oh, well, and it really, when I started learning about this, it really changed the game, right? For me, yeah. it helped a lot of my clients, but so, so let, let's just talk about this in a broader sense. So most people know the fight flight or freeze response, right? Everybody mm -hmm. has that, by the way, the whole, everybody in the world has that. The difference is that for people who've had any kind of trauma, uh, that is heightened in a different way because of the trauma changes the brain in a multitude of ways. And I don't, I'm, do, should, do we, should we go here really quick and then go there? Is that, yeah, I don't, that however okay. you want to do Let it. Let me just do this really quick because it's yeah. so important. I promise not to get too technical, but here's the deal. So our, I want, when anything happens, anything at all that is a change or it's coming at us and we're not sure, and this is for all people. So we're just going to, we're going to 
magnify this by a thousand if you've had any kind of trauma in your past. We, every single person, you're, you have three things that all of your, every experience goes through in your brain. And that's your amygdala, something called your hypothalamus and your hippocampus. And let me just quickly tell you what happens. So let's say I, my father says to me, um, oh, do you still have that job? You're still, you're still, did you get a regular job yet? Did you get a real job yet? Right. Something like that. Right. Just, you know, not even too crazy, but just a little, right. You know, let's just do still at that job. <laughs> right. Like, you know, you're and, uh. and right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so what's happening is you're getting that's quote unquote triggered. Right. Yeah. And depending on what kind of history you've had with your dad and a lot of people don't even realize they've had trauma. Because, yeah. you know, anyway, that's a whole other story. But right. uh, be, depending on the history of what happened, here's what happens. So your amygdala immediately lights up. This is the part of your brain really where the fight, flight, or freeze response happens. And we'll talk about how the fawning fits in in a second. So right away, you're either going to have an argument with your dad. Like, why are you always talking to me like this? You know, you're always coming after me, right? You might look at your watch and go, oh, it's time to go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, oh I, I see. I'm supposed to be some blow dry on my hamster or maybe <laughs> you freeze. You just go, huh? huh you like I call it the yes, dear response where you're really being very passive and you're not really doing anything. But you also might have this people pleasing response where you might just go, oh, you know, dad, I actually I have a, I have like five new jobs I applied for and I've done all these other things. Right. Like, you might even quit the job that you love. Right. You know, starting your own podcast because your dad doesn't like it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You might do any of those things, but, yeah. but I'll, so th that's how those all show up from the trigger now. So what happens is this amygdala gets light up. It sets off one of these things. And what happens as soon as the amygdala kind of, you know, uh, gets lit, as soon as that happens, we, it immediately also ignites some, another part of your limbic system called your hypothalamus. Mm -hmm. And your hypothalamus is in charge of as soon as it's like, oh, we're supposed to be running from a tiger right now, right? This is an ancient yeah. response. So immediately it sets off stress-inducing hormones like cortisol and norepinephrine and epinephrine, right. All, right? So all the stress hormones are now running through our body. And by the way, we're not running. We're just standing there. So you can imagine <laughs> how agitated your system right. is, right? Going right. like, we're supposed to be running. Did you ever, by the way, you know... Uh, Let's say your boss says to you, uh, hey, I want to see you in my office at two. And it's like 8 a.m. Yeah, yeah. I, I love your face. <laughs> you know what I'm saying though? Or maybe you're leaving the house and your partner, you see that they're kind of acting funny and you're like, yeah. hey, are you okay? And they go, actually, no, but I have to talk to you after work. I have a busy day. I'll talk to you later. Right. Right. Oh my you gosh. Know? Oh my God. Right. Yeah. We're all panicking. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, empaths. I mean, <laughs> so do you know that feeling where it feels like your stomach drops out? Mm -hmm. I'm talking about like, yes. it's just, that is actually the blood rushing to your legs to run. Oh my gosh. I never heard yeah. that. That yeah. is how ancient that response is. At the That's same crazy. time, I know <laughs> at the same time, your pupils are dilating. So you can mm -hmm. run in the dark because you might be running. Your breath, your breathing starts to become shallow, right? So that, you know, you're yeah. kind of, you know, a little panicked so that you can run right. faster, quicker. Go to, might start to <laughs> go to the bathroom, go to the yeah. bathroom, well, yeah. that's, right? Because you're not supposed to eat if you're under fire because the number one process in your body is digestion, right? That's when you're, you're at your weakest. 
So if mm. you're supposed to be running from something, your whole brain is telling you don't eat no matter what right. else you do, do not eat. So it'll evacuate your system too. Oh That's, you know, you'll, you'll have, right. People get diarrhea, they throw up right. and you're certainly not hungry in that moment. No. You might stress eat later, but you're not hungry in that moment. Cause again, you've got that right. feeling, right. You might start to sweat as some people sweat when they get nervous, right. You know, that is so that again, to cool your body while you run. Or so that if a, a predator or another person tries to grab you in a fight, they, they might slide off. Mm-hmm. All of this is a many million year old response as you stand there in your suit with your cup of coffee, <laughs> right? right? Doing nothing. So here's your hypothalamus sending all these stress hormones into your system because it'll help you run faster. It'll keep mm-hmm. you really, you know, uh, very hypervigilant. You'll notice if there's a place to escape, you'll notice all kinds of things, right? You'll be able to, your, all your hi- senses are heightened. So all that's going on again, as you stand there. And then, and what gets really scary is the, the, another part of your brain called your hippocampus, which is, controls memory is also signaled. Okay. By, by these stress hormones. The problem is that these stress hormones shrink and shrivel, literally, physically, your hippocampus. And your hippocampus is, does many things. What, what it's really doing is it's, uh, if, as I'm having this conversation, let's say with my dad, this is all happening as my dad said, are you still at that job? Okay. Split, uh, you know, so, you split second, right. right? So now my hippocampus, which is in charge of, again, my memory, what it's doing is it's saying, okay, here's what dad said. Here's what I said. Here's what happened. Here's what was around us. And it wraps that all up and makes it into a memory for us, right? Mm. So we can use it later. The problem is that if you're shrinking and shriveling your hippocampus and all these stress hormones are happening, guess what? The memory is altered. So that's why you remember things differently than what they happened. The Mm. other problem is that your hippocampus is also the part of your brain, this memory part that lets you know if something is happening in the present or in the past. I see. And that is why you feel so traumatized in a moment and so physically triggered because your brain is starting to think that this is whatever that Mm -hmm. threat is, is happening right now. But but we interpret it differently. Exactly. And that's what. We think it's reality, right? And, and everyone, every person listening has been in this argument with a partner, with a parent, with whoever, where they've said, you didn't say that. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. You did this. You meant that. No, I didn't. I was just asking. Right. How your day was. We've all had that. And we think they're gaslighting us. Right. They're full of it. Now, I'm not saying we're never being gaslit, but right. a lot of the times we're not. A lot of the times things are just asked or said. And have nothing else attached, but we, again, mm-hmm. all this stuff is happening in the brain. We all also, your prefrontal cortex is affected, which is really, which regulates all your emotions and your impulse control. And mm-hmm. that is why you end up with poor impulse control at the same time. So again, you get like spotty memory from trauma, uh, this right. hypervigilance, this emotional reactivity. You can see now, as I explain the brain, right? While mm-hmm. that's happening. So so let's get back to our farm response, but hopefully people listening can really understand that this is a very physical thing that's happening. Right. And the longer you've been dealing with an unresolved trauma, the longer you can imagine how that brain system gets super, what we call kind of hot, yeah. where it just takes nothing almost to set it off because it's right. so triggered, right? It's so near the top. So when somebody is, if your response is this people-pleasing is this fawning, it's really where we're, uh, we're sort of like, we're merging 
with the wishes and needs of others. That's what we're doing. And we're kind of saying that the price of admission into a relationship is that I forfeit my needs, my boundaries, Mm -hmm. what I consider my rights, because otherwise, why would you do this with me? Like my job here is to, is to not ask for anything and to just. That makes so much sense. I mean, even personally, like with jobs in the past, it's just, it's better. I just stay quiet. I don't want to upset them because I don't want to feel what you just went through. Even though we're in modern day, there's no tiger chasing us. But when that moment we hear those words and, and it activates our nervous system, cortisol, and we're just like freaking out and then it ruins our day. So I think a lot of people listening out there can resonate with that. So that's very interesting how you put it. So this leads me to the next question. So if, if somebody is going through that and they are starting to build trust issues with someone, how do we like move forward, like being able to trust again and especially after abuse, something that horrible yeah. happened? And, and I always thought, you know, trust is earned. <laughs> yeah. So it's, I think it's really important not to just get into trust again, you know, not to just sort of throw ourselves into that again. And, and really what we have to do first is trust ourselves, Yeah, trust ourselves that we'll make a boundary that we'll hold it, that we'll right. Hold ourselves accountable. That we'll be responsible because otherwise we're putting all that in the other person. And then we, we think, Oh, see, I got hurt again. Right. Yeah. But you, you know, you stayed there a long time and you allowed this to happen for a long time. You know, you went, this person hurt you and you went right back in. And a lot of times people forgive quote unquote, and, Mm -hmm. but then they go right back to trusting. And it's like, that's not what forgiveness is. You can forgive someone, not trust them. And I have people I've forgiven. I didn't trust. (laughs) So, you know, it was part of, you know, cause I knew not to trust them, but I forgave them. I, you know, I got who they were. So You really want to, you know, first and foremost, trust is made up of three pieces Mm -hmm. and three, I call them kind of pillars. And basically those are that you, uh, you, first of all, you have to think the other person that there's goodwill, that the person has your best interest at heart. You, there has to be this level also of integrity that they, um, you believe them that they say, I'll show up at three o'clock, you know, and they show up at three o'clock that they, there's some integrity to, to what they say to you. And then you have to, there's competence. That's the third kind of pillar that you have to think they're competent. Like if I'm trusting my partner being a parent, I have to think, wow, they really have good skills as a, as a dad, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And they do what they say, right. That's the integrity. And they have our best wishes at heart. Like those three things would have to be there. And the problem is a lot of times people say they trust someone and one of those things isn't there. You yeah. have to have all three. You can't have one. You have to have all three to f- truly to feel it. Yep. So I generally tell people to look for those things. Like think to yourself of this person, do where's the, where does it fall out? Mm-hmm. Right. Sometimes people are, have a lot of integrity, do everything they say they're going to do. They're really competent, but we don't think they care about us. They, we don't think they have our best <laughs> interest at heart. So guess what? We don't trust them. Right. So that's the part you would work on. Right. You just work on that little piece. But so much of this really it's not it's like my sobriety, it, you know, getting clean. It's not an overnight process. It's not no. something you wake up to one day. It is something you have to consist for me using that filter has always helped these three pillars. I'm like, OK, so I can really tell what I have to work on. Right. And then if I 
you know, my mom, um, uh, and I, we came to a lot of peace together before she died, but she was a narcissist, like a true narcissist. And it was, I didn't trust that she, she was certainly, you know, she said she was going to do something. She did it. She was very confident in the world, very accomplished, but I didn't trust goodwill. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about me. Right. So I learned to be in relationship with her where I just held that part. Like I understood it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so this is going through that filter for her. <laughs> And it doesn't mean I have to hate her. It doesn't. Right. I just have to hold my boundary. That's where we let right. go a lot of the anger. We, we get angry at other people a lot for trampling our boundaries. That's right. not their job to hold our boundary. Your job is to hold your boundary. Right. So when you right. put that responsibility to someone else. Yeah, but they should. They know they. Uh. Uh-uh, sorry. <laughs> you can blame them all day long, but that's getting you nowhere. Right. And you, you've got to. I, I talk a lot about verb, you know, you can't act V E R R B. You can't mm-hmm. act like a victim. You can't act entitled. You can't wait for someone to rescue you. It's two R's. <laughs> you can't read anyone's mind. I know oh, they should know. I, you know, or they can't <laughs> read yours. Nobody can read anybody's mind. That's actually not a thing. And the B is blame. If you're blaming mm-hmm. anyone else, you know, as soon as you have verb, you're really you're in a bad place. So let's, let's talk about boundaries then. Cause this is what keeps coming up with a lot of people that I've come across is they'll, they'll do great for a while. They'll hold their boundaries with certain people, but with others, maybe not so much because they're afraid like, Hey, I can't do that with my boss or my spouse or someone that's, you know, in charge of my livelihood because there's so much to lose in that sense, if I came to you and I said, you know, I'm having problems with my boundaries, what, what, what kind of things could you tell me just to kind of get into a rhythm where I can hold my boundaries with everyone, not just pick and choose like, oh, this one's an easy one. It's a friend. They'll understand versus, you know, someone I'm married to. And if I piss them off, I might get a divorce, you know, or something. Right, right. Well, you might. I mean, I think that's, (laughs) we can't, you have to have faith in love, not faith in fear, right? We have faith and fear all the time. So faith is belief in something I cannot see. So I don't know that my boss is going to fire me. I don't know that my partner is going to leave me, even if they threatened it. It doesn't matter. Right. I don't know it, yet I have faith in it. So why don't I instead have faith that when I draw this boundary, things will get better, that our relationship will improve. Mm-hmm. You're that, And of course it will, by the way. Whether or not whatever that's going to mean, I can't tell you. but. <laughs> If you got this job, you can get another job. If you got this partner, you get another partner. You know, I it's, but it's not even about that. It's about really under what people do. Let me just back up. The issue with boundaries is that people change them depending on how other people act. Your boundary should stay intact no matter what the other person does. So let's say, and then here's a common one. Uh, my son, my son has a bound, you know, has a, a curfew. That's a boundary, right? You right. have to come home at midnight. You have to come home at midnight. And it's, and I've set up this boundary because I believe that's important for his age, right? That he should have it period. End of story. So even if my max is really uh, wonderful and loving and great, I don't go, Oh, all right. Why don't you stay out later? It's okay. And here's what happens. People do it right? Their max is acting great and right. doing it. And he's like, come on, can I just this one time? Right. right? They say, okay. And, that's and then they make the boundary <laughs> one, right? But usually what happens is then max goes, oh, and stays out till one thirty mm-hmm. or one fifteen, And then, and he comes home and I go, oh, you, I gave you this and right. look what you did. Look what you took advantage of me. Yeah. Now, no, now you have to be in at nine. <laughs> like now you, 
right? <laughs> this is where we go with boundaries. So yeah. they're either thick, too thick or too thin. Too thick is when we slam the door, cut people off, say, that's it. I'm done with you. We hear, I hear this all the time. I can't deal with my mother. I'm just cutting her off. I'm never going to speak to her again. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Or it's way over here. Oh, they were so nice. Oh, I do all these things for them. And I'm so enmeshed. And I, right. It's too thin. Wow. You're, it doesn't matter how Max acts. I have the same curfew every single day. It does not matter. I don't care if it's his birthday. I mean, as he gets a year older, I might reevaluate right. the boundary, but not in the moment, not on the fly, not as he's asking, calling from his friend's house. That's right. not when I reevaluate a boundary. Wow. Right. And what do I tell him every time he, he, he does it? He's a teenager. He tries. He'll say, oh, come on, just this one. And I'm, you know, and I say, <laughs> we, I might look at your uh, curfew in the future, but it's not tonight. Wow. We can talk wow. about it tomorrow, though. Sure. Do you see, see the difference? I, but we do yeah. this all the time. See, that's the thing with empaths. We, we think, if, oh, if we let this one time slide, you know, and then it's an invitation to be a doormat. And yep. you let one person in one inch. That's it. Well, because energetically, that's what you're putting out and you start to believe it. My word doesn't mean much. Right. I say things, but I don't really stick to it. What did I just say about what trust is? You don't, you don't trust yourself because you won't keep your word. You're not keeping integrity. Mm-hmm. You don't have your own best interests at heart. You're, you, you're worried about other people. You, and you don't do what you say you're going to do because you right. just wash this around and you don't not acting very competent. Right. So. How are you trusting you? So why would anyone else? Why on earth would anyone else do for you what you do not do? Right. That's just not how the world needs to be, is, whatever. I don't know. Yes, it's lovely. Everyone has everyone's best interest at heart, I I would hope. But that's that's really not everybody else's job once again. Now, I have to ask you this. Like when you respond and going back to what we talked about way back in the beginning of this episode, where our legs, the blood rushes in, do you get that still? Or are you at a point where you're like, I can, I, I can handle yeah. this. Or do you know what's, are you able very, to, Yeah, I kind of know my pre stuff. So, and actually that's, I'm, I really want to talk about what you do about all this. Right. So, but I, the way I have a practice set in place, this stuff rarely happens to me anymore, but it certainly has, you know, I mean, it it can't, I, it's impossible that it's just going to go away. It's just impossible. If, Mm if I went home tonight, yeah, my husband said to me something I would, I'd immediately, (laughs) the difference is I would notice it and I do notice it. And I, I kind of, I'm not a hundred percent perfect because nobody is, but the vast majority of the time I'm able to stop or very soon after. I'm able to stop. And I will say that as you practice this over the time, you help your brain rewire so that it's when, even when you are triggered, it's not as strong and it doesn't last as long. So you really can combat it differently. And that's a really wonderful yeah. thing. And that's what I want everyone that's tuning into this episode to understand is practice makes perfect, basically. Yep. I mean, yep. you yep. know, the more you do it. Yep. It, it, it really is it. And you really, cause you want ultimately a healthy mix mm-hmm. of the four F's. It's not like you're not going to have those responses. It's good to fight sometimes and to draw <laughs> my boundaries and to be assertive. Absolutely. Right. That's a healthy thing. It's when it's the only arrow in your quiver, when it's the only thing you go to every time I want yeah. everyone listening to have a healthy mix 
other times it's good to flee. It is good to know when you should cut your losses and mm. gently pull yourself out of a situation that you're just exacerbating it if you stay yeah. there, right? It's really good to know when you freeze, you know, if that's your usual thing, like just no decision is your decision, right? Mm -hmm. To be so mindful, so acutely aware that you notice how you're feeling in a moment and that you can act, not react. You can take a moment right. and go, what right. am I doing? Even the fawning, it's really wonderful to listen and problem solve lean into love, uh, without, without self-detriment, right. You know, <laughs> lean into what you're doing. Um, you know, being fair while you're expressing your needs, saying what you want, that that's still that, you know, that's people pleasing in take. a healthy way. That's freezing in a healthy way. That's fleeing in a healthy way, fighting in a healthy way. Mm -hmm. You're not going to not do them. Yes. I've learned a lot. I can talk to you all day about this. So <laughs> Abby, it's, it's been a pleasure and an honor for you to be on the podcast, but before we take off, could you just tell our audience where we can find you on social media and what you're up to? I know you've got a ton of things coming up. So I do. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, well, really the easiest way to find me is my website, which is just my name, which you'll have in the show notes, but it's abbymedcalf.com. So A-B-B-Y-M-E-D is in Donald, C-A-L-F, abbymedcalf.com. It has the, the podcast. It, we're in 130 six countries right now. It has, nice. you know, yeah, it's wonderful. We're in our fourth season. It has my Amazon number one best-selling book, Be Happily Married. And if partner won't do a thing. <laughs> thank you. It has all my social media handles, all the places to find me. Wow. Thank you so much. Uh, you're full of great knowledge and you guys go ahead and follow her and I'll uh, put everything in the show notes. So you're always welcome back in the future. So I'm keep doing happy to come back. That's great. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Well, there you guys have it. I hope you enjoyed it. We're in the Elite Series. Definitely stay tuned for the next episode. We're heading towards 200 episodes, and we have a lot more elite guests coming around the world. The best out of the best. Abby, you're one of them. So I'm uh, honored to have you on this podcast with the greats. So stay tuned for the next episode. And guys, always keep moving forward. And we are out. You're listening to the On Call Impact.